If we're high anxiety or really fearful, that will then sometimes affect the way that we birth because we're not trusting our empowered self, this innate wisdom that we have. We're kind of like blocking ourselves from accessing that. Welcome to Talking in Common, a podcast of all things lifestyle, family, relationships, well-being, kids and culture. This is not a how-to, but an insight into the lives of ourselves and others and how we all manage to get by. Hosted by myself, Kate Gadinsky, and my co-host, Sophie Panton. Take a listen and let's find out what we all have in common. Welcome back to another episode of Talking in Common. Hi, Soph. Hello, beautiful Kate. (gasps) Hello, beautiful Soph. (laughs) How are you today? I'm okay today. Not bad. Okay, we'll do. Okay, we'll do at the moment. It's better than a lot of other terminologies we could use, hey? It's better than shit. Yeah. No. Do you know what? I'm actually here to redeem myself. I had some feedback after our first season. This is a while back now, but, you know, I had some inside feedback and that inside being my mum. And (gasps) she reckons I swear too much. And I'm going to say I have to agree with her. I wonder if you've been influenced by me because I do feel like I'm a bit of a I'll say potty mouth. Is that appropriate language? Well, that's quite right. I Am actually, I? yes, you are. And I've got a <laughs> bone to pick with you because <laughs> I don't even know what that saying means. What the hell does a bone to pick with you? I don't know. Mean? Do you want to pick the bone? I'm going to Google it. Makes no sense. Here we go. Have a bone to pick with you. Dates back to the 16th century. Simply refers to a dog chewing endlessly and picking and cleaning a large bone. Fact for the day. Okay, cool. So what is this bone that you're going to pick with me? You swear way more than me. You are a potty mouth. And because you're chief of editing, (laughs) I think you set me up. You edited your your swear words out and left (sighs) me high and dry. I just don't swear on the podcast. I reckon you did. No. Maybe I Mm. edited my swear words and then like superimposed the sound to make it sound like it was coming out of your mouth. (laughs) Okay, we are waffling. What do we have in common today? We've got such an exciting episode. I cannot wait for everyone to hear this. Everything that we talked about with the beautiful Amanda, which Kate will intro her in a minute, but she's so amazing and... Wealth of knowledge, hey? Oh, she's just amazing and everything she knows, everything she talks about, you know, just resonates so deeply with with me and my curiosity and my interests and she is many other things, but she is an acupuncturist. And I reckon that that's probably what we've got in common at the moment because you recommended her to me back when I was pregnant. I did. I saw Amanda when I was pregnant, particularly with Lulu. I actually went and saw her for induction acupuncture. Yep. That's what you recommended her to me for. Did it work? Look, okay. So I don't know if it's as simple as that, but. (laughs) So I did end up giving birth two days later but I was induced. However, ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. After having this induction acupuncture, now for anyone listening, this is going to sound really weird, okay? But there's a theory out there which is called the red or purple line. Which, when we we're talking about this red or purple line, it's something mm-hmm. that you can look for on the top of your, let's use nice language, bottom. Oh, you know where there's the sort on of your crack. on your crack, yes, on your crack. Okay, <laughs> yes. And Amanda actually had a look, and, she, and apparently this can give you an indication, like a natural way to look whether your cervix is already dilating or not. Ah, fascinating. At that 
time. Did you have that? I did. And it was showing that I was already a couple of centimetres. Interesting. Anyway. That's cool. Check it out, anybody who's ever heard of it before. You can Google it. There's lots of images that will come up. It's, you know, it is what it is. But I think there is a little bit of um, truth behind it. But no, I did not go into labour straight after my induction acupuncture. How about you? I had my first appointment with her, which I had this amazing consultation and I was actually just like blown away because, yes, like you said, she's such a wealth of knowledge, but um, she was just so warm and like genuinely interested in finding out like who I was and what my body was doing and, you know, my my history and really trying to get to the bottom of my health and like just fully like holistically understanding me. And I was just like, wow, this was that was a cool experience. And yes, what I went there for was the induction acupuncture and I did it and it was great. Although I can't say I love the experience of acupuncture. It's quite uncomfortable. But literally the day I had the next appointment, which was meant to be like four days later or I don't know, within the same week, I also had an appointment with my obstetrician and that ended up being the same day that I gave birth to honey. So I actually had to call her practice and cancel my appointment. I was like, I actually have to cancel because I'm being induced today. That's exactly kind of what happened to me. I had my appointment the day after my, I think it was my second acupuncture appointment and I didn't end up being induced that day, but my obstetrician basically said that majority of the fluid had disappeared from around the baby and that I needed to be induced pretty quickly. Baby's heart rate, my all right, everything was fine, so he was happy to wait till the following day so I could get a bit organised. But that's quite bizarre that that happened to us both, hey? Yeah, I had the same thing. Like I was, you know, medically advised to to be induced and as much as I resisted it, what can you do? You've got to go with the medical advice. If you have an obstetrician and that's what you've, that's the path you've taken, that's the track you've gone down. So, yeah, funny though. We both had great intentions of trying to naturally induce ourselves via acupuncture. We just have so much in common. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have also recently. So here for that. Recently um, just started seeing Amanda again for some acupuncture which I'm hoping will assist me a little bit with my anxiety and with my trouble that I'm having sleeping. So I'll let you know how I go with that. But there are a lot of studies that show that acupuncture is an effective treatment for anxiety. Ah, okay. As it, well, I think it stimulates the body's natural feel-good hormones and reduces the level of stress hormones like cortisol. So ah, I will come back to you go. on that and see how I'm feeling in a couple of weeks. But There's your fact of the day. That is my fact Mine of the day. Mine was the meaning of what the saying <laughs> a bone to pick with you is. <laughs> so we also spoke to Amanda a lot about our menstrual cycles. Well, not our personal menstrual cycles, but just as women, um, menstrual cycles and listening to our bodies. Got us thinking about our own though, didn't it? Did it did get us thinking. But, you know, trying to kind of be more intuitive and listen to our bodies and be more in tune with our bodies and not kind of missing certain feelings or signs or symptoms of things that are happening that we need to kind of take note of. So Amanda had some great advice on this, didn't you find? I learned so much and I think it's really important just as women to really tap into what she described as an innate wisdom and, you know, I think it's just important, yeah, for our own personal health knowledge to 
understand our bodies and to look out for those signs because we're not really taught to do that. Anyway, we talk a lot about that in the episode, but yeah, definitely did get us talking about our own cycles post childbirth because I didn't get my period back for months, like for a year. In fact, I got my period for the first time almost to the day of Honey's first birthday, which is kind of weird. That is quite a long time to not get your period back for. Well, that's what I was thinking. And because I obviously hadn't been through that experience before. In comparison to me, that is a long time. I'm sure there's other people listening who maybe were the same or could have been longer, but. Yeah. Well, I had no idea what was normal or what was classified as normal. And of course, yeah, like I was saying, because it was the first time I was experiencing this, I had never even considered it before, but I did start to get a little concerned and I actually asked my GP at about six months and then eight months and then 10 months because I just was really unsure. And then I did learn later on that it can take some people up to 12 months or even up to two years. And it is heavily dictated by whether you breast or bottle feed as well. The difference in bottle feeding babies and breastfed babies, if they're bottle fed, your body tends to resume back to regular ovulation and your period sooner than if you breastfeed or or more so if you exclusively breastfeed. Makes sense though, doesn't it? Well, I suppose, I mean, once you understand how your body works, it does make a lot of sense. Um, But if you didn't know that, then, I mean, you don't know it. But I was breastfeeding, so after I'd done a little bit of research I was aware that it may take some months and I did read somewhere recently that it can take up to two years so I was a bit more comforted by that. Wow two years is a very long time. How long how long did it take you? Can't remember exactly I think somewhere between four and six months. For For both both? yeah but you know talking about you know being more in tune with our bodies and our menstrual cycles I am particularly inspired by this conversation with Amanda because I currently have an IUD or a marina which is basically the brand name. I hate that thing. You've never had one. Get it out. Which is a form of contraception, obviously. I hate it for you. I hate it for you. But I do want to get it removed. But, you know, we're pretty sure that we don't want to have any more babies. So in order to take this out, I need to be a little bit more aware of, you know, when I'm ovulating, when my period comes, like just so I can kind of basically still have sex. Not use yeah. condoms and not worry about falling pregnant. Okay, so, so you want to be able to fully understand your cycle, to know yeah, when you're ovulating, yeah. to either avoid having sex at that time or to be careful or cautious yes. and basically not use any contraception. Yeah. Ah, um, right. Okay, cool. So anyway, um, see how I go with that. Either that or ta-da, I might be pregnant. Who yeah, knows? well, look, if if a miracle happens and that's what the universe has in store for you, then – Telling you now, I won't be mad about it. (laughs) I know you won't. (laughs) I'll tell you one thing that everyone needs to know, though, that maybe most people do know, but I didn't know this. Once your body begins releasing eggs again, when you do start to have your regular cycles back after you've had a baby, you can get pregnant before you actually have your first period. So you release an egg and you ovulate as such before you bleed. So you can get pregnant before you even think that you've got your period back. Did you know that? 
Not really, no. no. Yeah, well, hmm. you've you taught go. me something today. Well, actually, no, I did know that you can fall pregnant without getting your period back because often yeah. some people do, you know, when you hear about those people that have got like a child that's not even one and a newborn, you're like, yeah. how did that happen? How did that happen? I didn't even have my period yet. Everyone's bodies are so different, aren't they? So as mentioned before, our guest today is the amazing Dr. Amanda Waldyke. She is the founder and director of Angia's Women's Health Clinic an integrative Chinese medicine practice with a focus on fertility, female endocrinology, and supporting women through every phase of life. Amanda's a registered doctor of Chinese medicine. She's also a yoga and meditation teacher and acupuncturist. She does a lot, doesn't she, Soph? Mm, she's amazing. As well as being an energy healer and a mum to two adorable kids. We chat with Amanda all about fertility, menstrual cycles, learning to understand and be more in tune with our bodies, some of our cultural failings to listen and trust our innate wisdoms, and so much more. I feel like I learned so much from this, Soph, um, and I know. Agree. Yeah, I know that you did too. We got so excited, we did get emotional. Um, <laughs> we were so informed, and as always, we had a good old laugh. We can't wait to share this with you. Let's hear from the wonderful woman herself. Here she is. Amanda, welcome to Talking in Common. How are you today? Thanks very much for having me. Good. I've just come off from treating patients and are now out the back of the clinic ready to sit down and chat with you girls. Amazing. Well, we are both really eager about today's chat with you. You've got such a huge wealth of knowledge in a lot of areas that we're both really interested in. Chinese medicine, women's health, fertility, acupuncture, yoga, and so much more. So we can't wait to dive in with you and learn a few things ourselves. So welcome. Thanks. I just want to add to that too, because... As Kate said, you are such a wealth of knowledge and with our eagerness and excitement, we don't really know where to start because there's just so much to delve into. But for Kate and I, and also for our listeners, we want to just take things back to basics a little bit with you today, all things women's health related, of course, but really just explore the understanding of our bodies, our mind, our natural physiology and also just our instincts a bit, or sometimes we feel lack of. There's so much information out there around women's health and it can be overwhelming sometimes just to navigate through that. So we're really looking forward to learning some basics, some tips, and of course, some of your great insight. But before we get into all of that, tell us a little bit about you, where you were born, your background, a little bit about yourself before embarking on your career and motherhood? Okay. I mean, I've got a quite a wild <laughs> background. Uh, well, I'm a born and bred Melbourne girl. I grew up in the eastern suburbs uh, in Vermont South, so you can't take the bogan out of the girl. <laughs> uh, Why would you want to? Yeah. <laughs> Always good to have a bit of bogues in there. Um, and hence I forgot my shoes today and so I was wearing my own boots at work. <laughs> <laughs> comfort comfy. first. Yes, comfort first always. Total comfort. I went to school in Moorabark and then ended up at a girls' school. That school closed down. And interestingly, you know, I started partying at probably the age of 15. I was kind of a duality. I was playing state league netball and just hanging around the wrong crew. Um, finished year 12, got into nursing, uh, ended up 
having a heroin addiction for three years of my life. Um, Wow. Yeah. Did not know that about I had no idea about that. Till 21. It's not something that I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm an open book, but I guess that was my sort of like gateway and catalyst to studying Chinese medicine. You'd never know where life's going to take you. Uh, And I certainly didn't expect that one. So, you know, I always describe it like the lotus flower is that, you know, from our biggest challenges, I think our greatest gifts arrive. And for me, that was one of my greatest gifts. And so that kind of just put me on this incredible path, went back to uni, studied Chinese medicine, did four years of herbs, and then two years of acupuncture and lived in China for a year, went and studied in China after my degree and came back and set up my clinic. I did a bit of corporate. I was a bit of a high-functioning addict, Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you know that there is a lot of them out there. Yeah, though. seriously, there is a lot, a lot of them out there. Yeah, people you would least expect. Yes, uh, and so, but you know, eventually, it's like the world just comes crashing down, doesn't it? You can't. It's it's not sustainable. I did do corporate as well, and I just knew that I never wanted to go back into corporate or work for anyone. That I actually wanted to be able to work for myself and to have that flexibility as well. Moving into motherhood to be able to spend time with the children because I guess for me that was my biggest thing was, you know, creating a business that gave me that flexibility to spend time with the kids because I've wanted to be a mother for such a long time. But sometimes too, you know, running your own businesses, it doesn't always, we think it creates this flexibility. So it's just interesting learning how to kind of like manage all of that. Yeah. Mm, I feel you with that. The art of the juggle. Finding a good balance. It was funny. That's so true. Someone said that the other day. It's, what was it? The juggle is real. Yeah, (laughs) seriously. So one thing we do like to know about our guests on Talking in Common is what did you want to be growing up as a child? I wanted to be an archaeologist. Oh, (laughs) really? I had a fascination with Egypt and just history just knowing things about the past and how that sort of all unravels. And I guess that kind of ties in with Chinese medicine is it's looking at the person as a whole and then finding what, being an investigator and seeing kind of what pieces are missing. Which part of your studies came first? I did two years of nursing and then after that, then I went and studied Chinese medicine, but I've always wanted to help people. I would have loved to have been a doctor, but, you know, I was mucking around, so I just didn't get high enough marks. (laughs) (laughs) We've certainly made up for, you know, your endeavours to study since then. Yes, that is true. I mean, life is one big study, isn't it? Yeah, that's quite right. So you now have two beautiful kids of your own. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal fertility experience and also your introduction to motherhood? Okay, certainly. Kind of, we backtrack a little bit. So one addiction kind of leads to the next. And so you go from an unhealthy addiction to a healthy addiction. And so I ended up doing half Ironman. And so when I'd finally, I'd met Garth, actually. So Kate was living in the same building as Garth. I was. Oh. We used to keep you guys up with our wild parties that we had in um, <laughs> oh, Esplanade yes. East, I think. You told me yeah. this, actually, now I remember. Yeah. Sorry. No, it was quiet. Yeah, sorry. We couldn't hear anything between the walls. Oh, good. 
(laughs) (laughs) So basically I was training for this event in New Zealand. It was a 400-kilometre riding event and um, I'd come out of a 13-year relationship and I was training for this event and I sort of met Garth into a year of training for the event and um, fell madly in love. And so when we decided that we wanted to have children, I was riding 600Ks a week and so I was physically fit but I actually wasn't fertility fit. And so when we conceived, uh, I had a miscarriage, I had a blighted ovum and for me that was just like an epiphany moment. You know, I was physically fit but not nutritionally fit, not fertility fit and the blighted ovum was a representation of what my body was. It was empty. So, you know, whilst I was at clinic and I'm telling all these women to do all the things, you know, I wasn't really practicing what I preached. And so it was a very, it was a really opening moment for me to go, right, this is what I need to do. So I stripped it back, you know, as women, I think we've been brought up in an environment where it's striving, we're we're doing our careers, we're very much living in this masculine model And so it's coming back into that feminine aspect of ourselves and coming back into an embodiment, which brings us back into our body so we can start to feel, uh, tap into our intuition. And so I stripped back the coffee, introduced bone broth, I stopped bike riding and I went and did yoga. So all those things that, you know, are taking us out of that sympathetic nervous system into parasympathetic because when we're in that parasympathetic state which is rest and digest is that that's when our body's at its most receptive and you know we're wanting to bring a child into we're wanting to bring a child into our womb and our womb has the word om which means mother creation in sanskrit and so it was like the first primordial sound of the universe so it's like we are creators uh, so I was create I was creating externally, but actually not creating internally. So it was bringing everything back home into our center, which is our heart and our womb in Chinese medicine. We decided I waited a year, and then after my blighted ovum, had to have a curette, and then we decided that it was time, and we conceived beautiful little Winnie, and it was. I was actually, uh, I had a massage. We found out at Christmas and uh, we were away up in Noosa and we get this massage therapist to come in every year. And so I'm on the table, I had a massage and the massage table breaks and I fall and I hit my belly. And so I started bleeding and I was like, oh my goodness, it's like, I cannot believe my luck. Like the poor woman who was massaging me. Oh, yeah. So I had a scan and thank goodness she was okay, but I bled for the first 17 weeks, uh, which was so stressful. Yeah, gosh, especially after your first pregnancy miscarrying and then. Yes. And, you know, it's like women, as when we've had a miscarriage too, every time you go to the toilet and you wipe and you see blood, is it you just, oh, you just whole world just comes crashing down. So. It was like that for 17 weeks, just this heightened state of anxiety. And every time you'd go for your scan and you'd see that everything was okay, you were like, I can breathe again. Sense of real relief. And then you'd probably be anxious again in those next few weeks. Yeah. Just every time I go to the toilet, just be bracing. And most of the time there was blood. So 
I was having just repeated scans constantly. So she made it through, had an incredible, <laughs> she wanted to be here on this you earth. You all did. <laughs> yeah. She's a strong little, she's a strong little um, muffin because um, we nearly lost her when she was one as well. So there's a whole story. Um, had an incredible birth with her at 38 weeks and had a four-hour labour. I think as women, you know, as you girls know, there's so much preparation that goes into birthing our children. And I think that really kind of begins from the moment of conception is that there's so much work that needs to be done internally. And interestingly enough now, like the children that are coming through, a lot of what we see in clinic is that we're having to do the work because the children aren't wanting to come through because we're undoing all like like our parents' generation of stories and everything, right? So they've left these imprints. So we're having to step up, do the work so these children can come through because there's going to be so much work for humanity that they have to do. So that way they're not having to undo all our shit basically. I mean, a lot of your passion and practice is fertility and many women struggle with this these days. What would you say some of the main contributing factors to this are? Yes, it's such a, I mean, you just have to consider the environment that we're living in is that we're living in a highly toxic environment. So our toxic load in our body is exorbitantly high for women, all our phthalates, um, BPAs, BPFs, all the plastics, um, all these huge endocrine disruptors. I mean, stress is a big one is that the reptilian brain, it was designed for stress, but the impact of stress now that we have on a daily basis is definitely heightened. You have to consider, you know, the pandemic, we're all trauma bodies in one way or another and how that's impacted our nervous system. The oral contraceptive pill has a lot to answer for, I think, in terms of its contribution to infertility. Whilst it was designed to for pregnancy, to stop us from falling pregnant, is that I think the long-term effects of that now we're starting to see, which is huge. Also to just, you know, the workload on our adrenals, which is also true, which comes to stress. Age factor, a lot of us are leaving it to where later in life. In Chinese medicine, we go through seven-year cycles. And so the sages observed at 28, that's when we were at our most fertile. At 35, our fertility was on the decline. And then at 42, the sages observed that our sea of blood would start to dry up. And so for a lot of clients, we see they're from mid-30s all the way through to late 40s. And then also to egg health for women. We know that sperm's on the dramatic decline. What are some, I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but what are some sort of natural ways that we can supplement or treat our bodies to boost fertility and egg quality or sperm yeah. quality? <laughs> now that you mentioned that. <laughs> basically just run for the hills okay and uh, go and grow some (laughs) organic plants (laughs) fruits um, and let's all just live on a farm in a happy commune yeah 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 (laughs) back to basics just back to basics I think a really good starting point is to understand where your fertility to really get a fertility status so an assessment to really understand what your egg quality or your egg reserve is, which is AMH, um, to run your hormone profiling so you can see exactly what's going on hormonally if you are ovulating, establishing if you are ovulating. Uh, it's important to in- establish a fertile window as well. I think that so many people jump into IVF and sometimes it's not always necessary. A lot of the time they're just missing that fertile window. 
they're having sex way too early in their cycle and just completely missing the boat or just doing it too much. So when they get to that fertile window, the sperm's like, nah, had enough, I'm checking out. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone. So what do you think about freezing or preserving your eggs at a young age? Yeah, it's such a great, it's such a great thing for women to do. It's it's empowerment because it's an egg vestment, as I like to say. <laughs> egg vestment. <laughs> because it's giving us freedom and choice as well. Because for a lot of us, some of us are not meeting our partners till later in life, into our late thirties, early forties. And if you don't have an understanding of your fertility, uh, particularly egg reserve, is that by the time you do meet your partner, if you do have a low egg reserve and you have to access IVF, is that, you know, it can reduce your chances of, well, conception. Um, and that's sometimes too where you need to then use donor eggs. So we're, we're going to be on a big drive actually to help women to understand their fertility from a young age. They shouldn't be turned away from GPs. Uh, you know, you're never too young to understand because then that way it can prepare you for your future. It is yeah. so important, isn't it? <sighs> so important. And it's a huge step I think that's missed a lot. Like our default is like, you know, let's find out what medical issues we've got or rather than just tapping into what's our natural cycle doing, you know, what's our body naturally doing, where are we at with our age and stress levels, mental health, all of that sort of stuff that should be the default but it's not. No, that's right. We just go to what's wrong, what's wrong with us rather than that whole like stepping back and seeing that from an objective view of tapping into, you know, our natural physiology of women. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we understand our menstrual cycles? I need some help with this, seriously. I need some <laughs> like help outside of an app. Are you already on to two children? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm no, I know exactly. I don't I'm I'm good with two. <laughs> That's it. The app's the worst, okay? Because he <laughs> yeah. people follow the app and people fall pregnant following the app. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so many people follow the apps and can't fall pregnant as well. And they're still relying on a device to tell them like how do we understand our cycles ourselves is that our body's always in this beautiful communication with us it's just the ability to stop and listen and to understand our physiology so we know that when we have a period is that our estrogen and progesterone levels drop and that signals the endometrial lining to shed and so for us in Chinese medicine, just to the period is our fifth vital sign. So each month your period is sharing with you vital clues, not only to your reproductive menstrual, but also overall health. And so the period offers big clues to whether there's actually gynecological issues such as endometriosis, fibroids, amenorrhea, um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. You know, so are we having regular cycles? Are we having irregular cycles? And so then we produce the hormone estrogen, and estrogen helps to increase our cervical mucus, sort of in basic terms. And also we produce the hormone, the follicle stimulating hormone, which is encourages us to grow a mature egg each month that we release at ovulation. So within this time, it's we're producing cervical fluid, and so after our period, that's quite dry. 
we start to get a little bit wet as women. And if you were to examine your cervical mucus, that would be in that part of your phase, in your follicular phase, quite creamy. As the estrogen builds, it becomes quite lubricated. So (laughs) it starts to become quite slippery and egg white. And we should have quite an abundant amount. So for women, it's all maybe noticing it on your underwear or when you go to the toilet to wipe. Also, too, within this time, you might get some tender breasts or you might feel some little twinges in your body. You might also feel quite tired. Your your libido increases around this time. So the body's prepping us, right? It's going, hey, guys, you know, are you listening? Let's get ready. And then we come for ovulation. We release an egg and then we move into our two-week wait. And after we produce progesterone, so progest means gestation, so for possible fertilization of an egg. This is what's really interesting is the cervix closes over and it becomes an incubator for our womb for this possible fertilization of an egg. So every time I always say to clients in that two-week wait, you don't want to be having sex because the body has, the cervix has naturally closed over to protect itself from any bacteria from entering into the cervix. So that's why I say if your husband's not circumcised, you know, the penis can, the head of the penis can be carrying bacteria on it. And so the body has its own protective mechanism, which I think is so amazing. And then when we produce progesterone, it stops us, well, it warms our uterus. So it becomes an incubator. And then our cervical mucus tends to dry up. And then we start that cycle again. So we're really, as women, no different to nature like we are in Chinese medicine. We're the Tao. So we go through these. Body's amazing. Isn't it? I know. And it blows my Seriously. Sorry. Yeah. Not that anyone, we didn't know that, anyone in this conversation, but yeah. Yeah, To be reminded of it though, like it's just. Yeah, far out. It's so much smarter than our brains. It's so, <laughs> the fact that it can, you know, we can grow a little human and it has its own intelligence to go, let's grow an, uh, a wrist to an elbow, an elbow to a shoulder. And, you know, children, when they're born, aren't they? They're just that purity. They come from source. It's like just, you know what, you're born whole. And then throughout your life, it's all your conditioning that starts to change that wholeness and strip away back our layers. And we say in Chinese medicine at that moment of conception is that the Big Dipper drops down and pulls the stars from the sky and it's that spark from the Big Dipper that we're conceived when the yin and the yang meet, which is the masculine and the feminine, and the cells divide and then they come back as one. And then they, and then we start the evolution of the species, which is the growth of uh, the embryo, and the fact that like it just has this intelligence, it knows what to do, and we're born from this source of just purity. And so when we get sick at that moment of conception, we've got our blueprint for life. So it's our what's our dharma for that for our life purpose, and when we go off our life purpose, like I did. <laughs> dis-ease starts to arise in the body and it's the body's communication of putting us back on our path, our cosmic path, our destiny of where we actually need to be in our life. So on the big scale of things, it's really just about connecting back to who we are and understanding ourselves and our evolution of consciousness in this lifetime so we can find our purpose Mm. and our dharma. Mm. Yeah, not everyone has that opportunity, I think, either. You know, it's... 
It's an interesting one. Well, I just think, like you say, so much of that um, understanding of that innate wisdom is just lost or it's not a part of our culture. So it's just not even something that we're naturally prone to looking into or understanding. because I think that everything in the West has been created for distraction, to distract us from, you know, our true self of being amazing. Like why can't we all just be brilliant? We are brilliant. We're all born brilliant. We all have our gifts to share with the world. But our culture just loves to just keep us at this base level, base chakra, dumb us down, you know, stop us from being these amazing beings. Yeah, it's sad. I actually find it. A bit emotional. <laughs> you're right, you're right over there. <laughs> but I want to just go back to our menstrual cycles quickly and quite literally the different textures of discharge that you were talking about. So you talked about the difference between like a creamy consistency and a more like slippery, sticky <laughs> consistency. What is the time that you want to be having sex to conceive? <laughs> Asking for a friend. <laughs> No, I'm not the friend. I'm telling you that much. <laughs> you sure about that? <laughs> I, I'm positive. Oh, I'm sure it's not you. <laughs> okay, so basically cycles can be from any 26 days to 35 days. That is what we would consider a normal cycle. So everyone has their own unique ovulation. It's trying to understand when your ovulation is. So normally we ovulate mid-cycle. So let's just use a 28-day cycle, for example. So... 14, we bleed for around five days. We come up for follicular phase, mid-cycles, day 14. So it's around this time that we're at our fertile window. So day 14, say, for example, if you're on a 35-day cycle, you need to have 14 days in your luteal phase to support a healthy pregnancy. And so we have menstruation, follicular, ovulation, luteal, those four little phases. And so on a 35-day cycle, we'd be ovulating day 21, around that day 21. So that's the time that you should be looking out for that sort of really slippery, fertile cervical mucus and not just looking on your app because your app will give you seven days. It's like you're fertile for seven days. You're actually at last 24 hours. Those apps, I tell you. One day, yeah, 24 hours. It's such a small window. It's so funny. You spend all your teen or early 20 years of, you know, exploring and having sex and trying so hard not to get pregnant and then so many people do when they're young and then you spend you know your whole like 30s or 40s like trying to get pregnant where's this one window how can I how can I be missing this one window exactly one window yeah anyway moving on I want still on fertility though for a minute (laughs) tell us about the fertility yoga that you've been practicing how does it differ from other yoga that's beautiful because yoga was actually designed for men and there's a there's a beautiful book actually. I've just got it. I've just started reading called Yoni Shakti, and it's it was talking about men f- were doing yoga so they could in uh, Vedic studies. There's the cities. I haven't done the cities. I've done the rishis training, but it talks about so that way that men could actually start to experience what we experience cyclically each month. So it was giving men an opportunity to come back home into their bodies through having an embodied experience. So the yoga that's been designed is really quite masculine. So the fertility yoga is an embodied experience of getting women to be able to come back into their body through a feminine practice. So we do lots of, you know, juicy hip circles. Uh, We do lots of meditation. 
connecting, opening up the heart to womb. So in Chinese medicine, you know, the heart is where our shen and our soul resides and our womb is our centre of creation. So we want to be having happy heart, happy uterus, I say, is these two centres need to be in communication with each other. So if you think someone that's been on, think about the person that's been on the fertility journey for a long time is that their heart starts to become closed. And then that communication between heart and womb, there starts to be a disconnect. And the first thing that you see when you go for your ultrasound is you see the heart. So it's like at that moment, it's like, boom, that love, that heart spark. (laughs) So the fertility yoga is essentially then to balance out our hormones and activating through the parasympathetic nervous system through specific poses that help to open up our glands through our hips because, you know, as women we sit when we're sitting a lot, we're closing off our reproductive organs, we're closing off specific glands. And so allowing that Swati Stana is um, our sacrum chakra, our sacral chakra. It's our pleasure center. So we try, we want to bring movement back into our pleasure center through this non-linear movement and also to that aspect it's a water element. So we want to be coming back into flow. And, you know, so as women, what's our period? It's all about flow. <laughs> fluid everything's like fluid sexual fluid semen (laughs) Mm. it's true though yeah so we just want to come back into having connecting back into our bodies and finding that connection because i think so many of us and a lot of us have been disconnected to our bodies and operate from our minds rather than coming back into our hearts well that's exactly right just like honoring ourselves with that opportunity to connect i think is the most valuable thing out of doing a practice like that. So as mothers, let's talk about the fourth trimester for a minute because it's often a phase that doesn't have so much emphasis on. Can you tell us some ways in which a mother can begin to restore herself during this time? Because, yeah, as I said, there's a lot of emphasis on fertility health and pregnancy and even childbirth. Um, but what can a mum in this early postpartum stage do for herself? You're so right because the postpartum is actually the fourth trimester is one that's so looked over in our society. So the fourth trimester is so important for mothers because of, you know, depending on how our pregnancy has been, is that we can go into the postpartum period quite depleted and that also too is influenced from our birth as well. You know, did we have a traumatic birth? How long were we in labour for? And so one of the things that we do so well in Eastern medicine is that restorative phase of bringing the woman back into her body and then replenishing her with all the necessary chi and blood as we would describe it but with all the fluids and the nutrition that's going to help then support hormonal balance that's going to help support bringing your lactation and I think that you know here in the west it's like as we see it it's like you birth your baby And there's so much focus around the mother just trying to get back to her normal birth weight or pre-birth weight, which is so fucking irrelevant. Like you've had a massive, expansive experience. You've expanded, right, beyond your wildest dreams, physically, mentally, emotionally. You've just birthed your child. You've just rebirthed yourself. And it's like, okay, now the focus also needs to be on the mother, healing the mother, because if we don't heal and replenish ourselves in that fourth trimester, 
properly is that that then influences us into our menopausal years and how we then transition into menopause. So what we do now affects us what we do when we go through our menopausal journey. So it's kind of like that domino effect for women really. Soph and I have also been talking a lot lately about postnatal depletion but just how we both generally feel very exhausted a lot and how we feel this can sort of last well beyond the first few months but even into the first few years of being a mum. Is this something that you sort of get asked about a lot and what are sort of some things that you can recommend that women can or should do to kind of combat this or assist in combating this? And, I mean, Oscar Serelak's written that book, you know, The Postnatal Depletion, which is uh, I think every woman should read. Uh, is that it hits us at some point, like you said, whether that's one month or 10 years down the track. But it's just this, you know, we don't have enough time to be able just to to rest and recuperate properly. Be looking after your toddler, depending on what they were like, when how their sleep cycle was, all these factors that contribute to just this, you know, um, presentation of postpartum depletion. And I think every pregnancy there's an iron, we become iron deficient. And with each pregnancy, you'll start to see that iron deficiency. Did you both have iron deficiency? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not. I wasn't as bad as you, but my iron was definitely low. Yeah. I yeah. Had an infusion at about thirty-eight or thirty-nine. Weeks. So that already, if we're iron deficient, we're going in iron and qi and blood in Chinese medicine are an extension of blood. Yeah. So you're breastfeeding, and then potentially, like when when do you get your period back? I got my period back three months after giving birth. So then you're you're losing energy. Like you're losing chi, you're losing blood, you're losing essential nutrients. So one of the first things is that we say to women is to go and get a blood test. Go and get your iron levels checked six weeks postpartum so you've got a really good understanding and baseline of where your iron levels are at. And also to thyroid because thyroid fluctuates. That can then, you know, it affects your metabolic rate. It also affects your energy levels. And I think we go into motherhood, we can feel amazing from the oxytocin and then as soon as the oxytocin drops and then the prolactin levels kick in is that you kind of can hit a baseline and then it's if you've already been I'd like to refer to our body as a bank account so you want to go into your pregnancy in a surplus because that your your energy levels are get your bank account's going to deplete and so by the time you get into that postpartum period if you've had a very long labor you know if you've had a traumatic birth is that you're just going to be exhausted. We've had a cesarean sometimes too that can influence your hormones and most women go into their postpartum period in this deficient deficit state and then you have to rebuild. But how do you rebuild when you've got a newborn? Yeah. Tend to neglect yourself when you become a mum in those first few months or years. So, But I think you made a really good point before just saying that there's this expectation from society that once you've given birth to your child, the next thing is to get back to your previous self as quickly as possible and whether that's your body, like your physical look or going back to work or just getting back into the person that you previously were, which is like the exact opposite of what we should be doing because like you said, our whole world has completely changed. We've just had this life-changing, you know, profound experience of childbirth and we should be focusing on evolving and nurturing this new person that we've 
become. And instead it's like we're being sort of told, when are you getting back to the way you were before? It's like really suppressing and, and confusing. <laughs> it's like confusing. It's like right there. Yeah. You're, you're a whole new person. Yeah. yeah. We're like we're not, we will never be that person again. And being able to embrace that ever, isn't that right? And I think that's where Western society, it's just, I mean, all of it, all the stigma taboos around all these things, it all relates to women. There's no, not a lot of stigma or taboos around male aspects, um, you know, periods. They're a natural bodily function. Um, why is there a stigma around that? Why does there have to be a stigma around, you know, the fourth trimester? Um, it's just so, well, the media has a lot to answer for, really, doesn't it? I think in terms of, you know, the portrayal, it's like, why don't we start just showing the true pictures of what motherhood's like? Uh, which is it's messy it's fucking yeah. messy <laughs> and when you know yeah. it's seriously messy <laughs> and my house has shit everywhere <laughs> it's just like and you know what teaching oh. women to be okay with that it's like darling don't worry you don't have to do I said I'm like just get used to having a bit of a messy mind you don't have to do the washing it's gonna be there it's just it's gonna continue to be there because you've just got those cons yeah. And if you don't cook a meal, don't worry. <laughs> Get comfortable with it. <laughs> Order yeah. an Uber Eats. Learn to Call live on it. your friends. Yeah. Start using our community and coming back to that tribe of, you know, having each other. And, you know, stop and women need to stop comparing. Oh, it's like you know your baby the best. That's the worst. Yeah, most definitely. So you were talking a little bit before about this innate wisdom that we have, and I'm particularly interested in this, and Kate and I have been talking a lot recently about intuition but more in terms of the daily decision making as a mom or as a parent and how we feel that that's been lost a lot and this temptation to google things or get outside approval on the decisions that you make as a parent is another really confusing part of society so just tell us a little bit more about this innate wisdom and how we can tap into it a little bit we have lost this ability to be able to, you know, trust ourselves. And I think the best advice that I was given, you know, I don't have a mum, mum's passed away. It was, you've just got to trust your baby. You know your baby the best. It doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. What works for them works for them. What works for you works for you. And I think that's where it comes back to really understanding our menstrual cycle so we can understand the inner workings of our body because then we start to build this, you know, trust within ourselves and then that's also that then comes into our pregnancy journey as well because how we relate to ourselves if we're high anxiety or really fearful um, that will then sometimes affect the way that we birth because we're not trusting our empowered self this innate wisdom that we have we're kind of like blocking ourselves from accessing that and so having those little practices of just connecting back in so I do a lot of like internal inventory and you can just have a play with it I mean it's just fun you just have a joke with yourself <laughs> you know I do every day an internal inventory left hand on the womb the feminine and right hand on the heart and I wake up and then what does my body need today do I need to train yes or no okay um okay should I just rest and then I'll just be like body what do you need and your body will tell you like for clients that come in to clinic and they're overdue is I actually just get them to do some deep breathing 
and then get them to connect into their babies and ask their baby, what do you need from me right now? And the wisdom that comes through from their child, most of the time it's, mum, you need to stop. Stop let thinking, be stop open, doing, open stop stressing. Listening yeah. to your own body, you know, stop shutting it off, which I think I tend to do that a lot, but I think I'm getting better at it, hopefully. Well, hey, we're progress. all WIPs. That's what I always say. We're WIPs. <laughs> <laughs> so being someone who's experienced a miscarriage in the past myself and knowing that you also have Amanda, what sort of treatments or healing methods do you recommend to women who have also experienced this, not just physically but also mentally? Yes, I think it's giving ourselves the time and the space to be able to grieve is that how long is a piece of string everyone goes through a different grieving process. It's always really nice to have lit candles. So Garth and I have done a ceremony together and then I've, you know, had a little ritual around that and then think the spirit for gracing this earth and I'm sorry that it's not this time that you can come through and then ask them to move towards the light. I think that everyone has their own way of whether they decide that they might like to do a plant, plant a tree or do plant some flowers uh, and a womb healing. So a womb healing is also a really nice way for a woman to be able to connect in with her baby spirit. And I think that there's so much work that we can do around that by connecting into our baby spirits and just giving ourselves really the time and the space. It never leaves us. It's always a part of us, but it's finding ways around that to like honour that part of your life and what happened at that time too. It's not just like I think in the Western society we're, just, we're told just to get on with it. It's quite a bizarre feeling of when you've been through a miscarriage and then you come out, it's like a trip and you're like, okay, everything's carrying on as normal, but here I am in this space. I'm grieving the loss of my child right now. And it's like, but no one knows the pain that you're going through because life just continues on as normal. It's, it's a void. And it's just, I think just being in the void, feel the pain and then honor what you're feeling too. Don't, you don't have to be anything, just be yourself and then be in whatever it is that process that you need to get through that and if you need to talk to a counsellor that's what we have um, amazing psychologists for is that sometimes if you have had repeated miscarriages just to get yourself feeling you know just to download I think debriefing is such a big part of that if you don't have a network that you can or close friends to it's really important to be able to debrief your experience. So I know you see women with difficulties with their health and wellness journeys all the time what are some what's a little message or some words of wisdom to women out there that are navigating a difficult health or wellness journey I think that we need to be seen and we need to be heard and so that everything that you're feeling and experiencing is valid and if you don't have someone that's not listening to you Uh, is that you know your body the best, is then keep looking, find the right healthcare providers that will listen to you and will be your support team. And if you are on your IVF journey and your doctors keep doing the same treatments, you're paying them, remember, they're working for you. So (laughs) make them work for you or then if they're not not cutting it, cut them off, move on to the next one. 
and don't go onto forums. Forums are the worst. It's just it's a it's an anxiety minefield in there, and it makes you just you tap into all your vulnerabilities, and it's just too much. Stay away from them. Mm, take things into your own hands. So I know you need to go to school pickup. Both of you, both Kate and Amanda, (laughs) so won't keep you much longer. But Amanda, what's your secret, or maybe it's not a secret, to just a happy and healthy life? Oh, life is is, (laughs) is so interesting. (laughs) You just have to take the good with the challenging, I think, and just be okay with that. Uh, It's not always uh, happy, happy, joy, joy. I think, you know, life is full of suffering and fuck, if you can get through that suffering, mm. um, you know. You're winning. We're winning. We're kicking goals. We're evolving. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Amanda. You've provided us with some really amazing insight into your practice, your knowledge and experience, but also into your extreme wisdom. So. We just want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for all that you do. Um, You're an amazing support to so many women and we're very grateful for your precious time and Thanks so much, girls. You're going to make me cry now. (laughs) That's it for today. Make sure you head to incommonprojects.com.au for the show notes. Hit subscribe on your podcast app and follow us on Instagram at Talking In Common or you can check out our Facebook page, which is also Talking In Common. Have a lovely day and as always, thanks for listening.